total total vibe so hello um today today is going to be an interesting lesson so today is one of my least favorite things to talk about but it is one of the most important things to talk about and i'm hoping that it's useful so we've been going through the gospel series and this is the second night in the gospel series and this is our third time teaching the gospel series we've taught the gospel series at the beginning of every school year since i took over the junior high group and it's because the gospel is that one thing that if you leave this youth group knowing absolutely nothing else i want to make sure that you understand the gospel First of all, so that you can believe it because you need to believe the gospel if you're going to be saved. But second of all, because we as Christians are missionaries in the world. How are you supposed to share the gospel if you don't know the gospel? And so at the beginning of every school year thus far, we've gone through it. And I'm pretty stoked because this is going to end up being the last series that I teach. And I mean, I'm doing it half and half with Justin, of course, but it's fitting that the first series I taught when we came back from Zoom meetings in youth ministry is also the last series I'm going to teach on my way out. And I'm extremely excited to do this with you guys. But tonight is the second part of the gospel series. Last week, we talked about sin, and tonight we're talking about the consequences of sin. Whenever we talk about being a Christian, we talk about when we got saved. We talk about, oh, when did God bring you salvation? Are you sure of your salvation? And what is it that we are being saved from? And this is something that you don't often hear specifically taught on in churches, and yet it is essential. Because the good news isn't good if you don't know the bad news. And so the thing I'm going to talk to you guys about tonight is hell. What is hell? And we've had the same three points all three times now, including this one that we've talked about it, but we're going to talk about some other things in addition to those. But just really briefly, I'm going to go through what is hell. So you can turn to Luke chapter 16. We're going to be first looking at Luke chapter 16. And at the end of the night, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 2 because Romans is technically the specific book that we're teaching through. But in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, there's a parable that Jesus tells. And this parable outlines the experience of two people as they die and they experience what comes after life. And in verse 19 of Luke 16, Jesus says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And so the issue is that the instant that the rich man and Lazarus died, despite their completely different circumstances in this life, they were faced with eternity. And when we look at people, we have a tendency to look at where we are in this life. We think about how rich you are in this life, how, much, how many friends you have in this life, how many accolades you have in this life, how much pleasure can I have in this life. And the issue is that in a moment, all of that changes. 
Because even though the rich man was rich, and even though the rich man had it good, and even though Lazarus was poor, and even though Lazarus had it bad, once you're looking at maybe 70 years of your life on this earth, and then on the other hand, you're looking at forever, the circumstances of this life suddenly don't matter. Even a little bit. And when we look at the experience of the rich man, which is what we're going to focus on, he is in anguish. He's in agony. He's in fire. And the issue is that what comes right after you die is you wake up either in heaven or you wake up in Hades. And Hades is where the rich man was. And it's painful. It's extraordinarily painful. You're consistently in fire. You are consistently in pain. And it's the worst pain that God can come up with to give you. And the issue is that Hades doesn't get better. In fact, Hades gets worse. Because after the world ends, while we're waiting for Jesus to come back and judge the world, you're either waiting in heaven or you're waiting in Hades. But when Jesus comes back and he judges the world in Revelation chapter 20, verses 13 to 15, it says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So in Hades, you are already in extraordinary torment where the rich man says, please let Lazarus dip his finger in some water and cool my tongue because I am in agony. And the thing is, if I was in Hades and I was on fire, I would want a lot more than a drip of water to cool my tongue. But this guy is so desperate for even the smallest amount of relief and even the smallest amount of relief never comes. And Hades is pretty bad, but hell is worse. And hell is what comes after. When Jesus judges all of the people that are in Hades, and then it only gets worse. And so hell is painful. It's the most painful thing. When Romans 3.23 says that the wages of sin is death, it's not just talking about how you physically decay and die. It's talking about that second death, that lake of fire that's waiting for non-Christians. So it's not just that hell is painful, but it's that hell is eternal. Hell never ends. There's not a moment where you get burned up. There's not a moment where God annihilates you so that you stop existing. You always have more time in that flame. Think about how painful it is. Have any of you ever burned yourself on a fire? I know that I've burned my hand, like grabbed a pot, and then you hear the sizzle, and you're like, oh, dear. No bueno. No bueno, man. It's a rough spot. So that's pretty painful, and that stays painful for, like, you know, a little while, maybe a few weeks. But imagine not just that on your hands, but your entire body constantly and you get no relief after 10 years you'll still have plenty of time after a thousand years after a million after a billion you'll be there a hundred billion years and you will be no closer to getting out of it because hell is eternal and people don't die there in mark 9 47 to 48 jesus says if your eye causes you to sin tear it out for it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. When Jesus says that in hell the worm does not die, he's, say, he's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. Because which is easier to kill, a worm or a person? A worm. A worm. 
And so if even a worm, the scrawniest little animal that you can think of, that you can just crush underfoot, if the weakest creature you can think of cannot die in hell, we certainly cannot die in hell. And so hell is eternal. It doesn't end because the fire is not quenched. And in Matthew 25, 46, Jesus says these will go away, when he's speaking of the unrighteous, into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so whenever Jesus talks about hell, he puts it in parallel with heaven. So in the same way that we're never going to get out of heaven, no one in hell is going to get out of there. So hell never ends. And the last thing is that hell is inescapable. It's not just that hell is painful, and it's not just that hell never ends, but there's never a situation where you've burned off the rest of your sin. There's never a situation where God goes to the people in hell and says, hey, do you change your mind? It never ends, and you can't actually get out of it. There is no circumstance where once you've been in hell long enough, you've completed your sentence. Because in Luke 16, finishing the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, It says in verse 25, But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm which has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and that none may cross from there to us. And so when the rich man looks at Abraham and he says, Father, give me some relief from this pain, Abraham doesn't say, hey man, once you've been there long enough to burn off your sins, you can come over. Abraham doesn't say, if you just say you're sorry, then God will accept your repentance now. And Abraham doesn't say, hey man, if you do some good works while you're over there, maybe we'll let you in. In Proverbs chapter 1, when God is speaking about rejecting wisdom, he says, Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that saying that the gates of hell are closed from the inside. I think C.S. Lewis said that. As much as I like a lot of the things that C.S. Lewis said, that, one's, that's, that is one that is explicitly wrong. There are plenty of people in hell that will beg Jesus to let them out. And it says that God will laugh at them. There is no escape. God has given every single person a period of time to accept the grace that he has extended. And the moment you die, it is over. And so, I'm going to move on from that. But that's what hell is. Hell is fire. Hell is pain. Hell is you with a body especially made to feel pain, feeling that pain forever with no end and no respite. Here's why we're talking about that. Because you can't know what the good news is if you don't know what the bad news is. When you're looking at a non-Christian and you're thinking to yourself, man, you know what? It's not really that bad to be a non-Christian. Nothing terrible is coming their way, but heaven is just better. I'm going to share the gospel with them because they need to go to heaven instead of just having an average time. Mm -hmm. That is not going to motivate you to share the gospel the way that you need to. When you're looking at a non-Christian and you're thinking, man, I want to interact with this person 
And then if I get a shot, maybe I'll talk about Christianity. Maybe I'll talk about the gospel. But really, it's not worth bothering them. It's not worth troubling them. When you're giving alms to people and you're trying to care for the people who are needy in this world and you're thinking their greatest need is that they need to eat a meal right now. If you don't understand what hell is and if you don't understand how brutal hell is, you will not be motivated to talk to them. When you're having a conversation with your non-Christian friend and perhaps they've done something to offend you or they've made a joke at your expense or maybe any number of things that might just sit with you the wrong way, Is that really so important that you would not give them the message they need to escape hell, what is waiting for them? But there's one more point that we're actually adding to the message this year. And the fourth point is out of Romans chapter two, if you want to turn there. And the fourth point is this, hell is deserved. It's not just that people who reject the gospel go to hell. It's that 100% of them deserve to go to hell. And I'm actually going to personalize that a little bit. It's not that if you reject the gospel, you're going to go to hell. It's that you deserve to go to hell. That you individually, that me individually, that you are a sinner, that this isn't some random thing that you've been dropped into, but that you actually deserve what's waiting for you. And that's also significant. I'm going to tell you why it's significant in a moment, but first I'm just going to read that out of Romans 2. Let's start in verse 6. Speaking of God, Paul says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. So God is going to judge each person and there's not a single person that's going to be judged unrighteous that doesn't deserve that judgment. Here's the significant thing. How many of us are righteous? None. And so Paul says, you're going to be judged good for good, evil for evil, and that's supposed to terrify you. And actually the next things, the next section that Job, sorry, that Paul talks about is exactly that. He says in verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And one of the things that we know is that there's no one who's able to do the law. In Romans 3, 10 through 12, later on in the book, Paul says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And so the issue is, if you don't know the law, then what Paul has for you is, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So one of the things that you see, even if someone doesn't have the Bible, even if someone doesn't have the law, even if they don't have God's word on what is right or what is wrong, each of us knows that there is a moral standard. 
when you go to another culture and they naturally know, hey, it's not right for you to kill me and that means it's not right for me to murder you. Hey, that's my stuff. It's wrong if you take that. Even the most staunch person who believes firmly that there is no absolute moral standard, as soon as you key his car, there's suddenly a moral standard. <laughs> there's no one that doesn't know the truth. Everyone knows that there is a moral standard and everyone knows that at least one point in their life they've slipped up. And Jesus looks at people and he says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. No one is as perfect as God is and that means that everyone is guilty. And so, if you don't have the law, you have your conscience. And that's enough. Even without it, you know that you've sinned. And so your conscience will bear witness against you. But in verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, Paul says, if you are religious, and not just if you're religious, but if you are religious in the right way, because God had given his law to the Jews and God has given his uh, Bible to Christians. So if you know the truth and you know the truth well enough to instruct others, then you might think, well, surely I'm good. I'm religious. I go to church on Sundays and I know my prayers. Well, here's what Paul has to say to that group. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law, for it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So if you know the law, then you know better than someone who doesn't have the law that you don't live up to it. The law says you shall not steal. Have you ever stolen? The law says you shall not lie. Have you ever lied? Even a small white lie? like when you told someone that Santa was real? Have you done the smallest sin at any point in your life? Then you are a lawbreaker. And if you have the law, that just means that you know more clearly that you're a lawbreaker. And the thing that God says to lawbreakers in Ezekiel 18 is this. Yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe my statutes, he shall surely live. But the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So if you know the law, then you know better that you're a sinner. And if you're a sinner, then God is going to judge you for that. And something that's significant, we all know that Adam sinned, and because Adam sinned, sin spreads to everyone. Romans 5.12 says that sin came into the world through one man, and death, spread, uh, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And sometimes we can think, well, why do I have to get judged because Adam made a mistake? Why am I getting judged because Adam ate the fruit? And what God says is, you're not getting judged because Adam ate the fruit. You don't go to hell because you're a person. You don't go to hell because you're the offspring of Adam. You go to hell because you sinned. It says that death spread to all men because all were descendants of Adam. No, death spread to all men because 
all sinned. Because you're a descendant of Adam, you sin. But it's because you sin that you burn. And so it's not just that you will go to hell if you don't accept the gospel. It's that you deserve hell. And this is significant. I've probably talked to you guys about this before, but when I interview youth leaders, there are three questions I always ask. I say, how did you become a Christian? How do you know you're a Christian? Share the gospel with me. Every single youth leader in this room and all the ones that have come prior, I've had that conversation with. And one of the things that I like observing about people that are mature Christians is the way that they talk about their life before being a Christian. I'm going to use the example of Justin because Justin can't talk about how great he is, but I can. (laughs) So when I was talking to Justin and I said, Justin, tell me how you became a Christian. He was talking about his life before Christ and he was talking about the sins that he was engaged with and he was talking about how brutally wrong they were. He was talking about how despicable of a person he is. Sometimes when he talks to me about the way that he shares the gospel with his coworkers and they say, well, you think you're a good person, right? And he says, no, I'm the worst person I know because no one knows my sin like I know my sin. When I speak to Christians, they have an understanding that, oh yeah, I'm wretched. It's not just that you know you're going to go to hell, it's that I deserve hell. And even after you become a Christian, a Christian is not someone who thinks I'm so righteous that God's going to let me into the pearly gates. A Christian is someone who understands I should have burned. And so there's a few things that are going to be valuable for you to consider. First of all, why does it matter that we understand hell? Here's the first one. Can someone read me the first sub-point that I have in your handout for this? I actually forgot to put order I put them in. Uh, Jesus for it. Because Jesus paid for it. So the first one is it's because Jesus paid for it. In Romans 3, 23 to 25, and this is kind of double dipping into next week, but whatever. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Real quick, who knows what propitiation means? That's a $10 word if I've ever heard one. Propitiation means the payment of debt. So, propitiation means the payment of debt. So if I know that what I deserve for my sin is an eternity in fire, What does that mean Jesus had to pay for my sin? An eternity in fire. And so when Jesus was on the cross and when God was judging him on the cross, in the span of three hours, Jesus paid an eternity in hell for every single person who would ever live and for every single person that will ever live. And that's actually one of the ways we know he's God. Because the only way that someone can endure an infinite amount of suffering in a finite amount of time is if that person is infinite. There's your little bonus theological concept for the night. I'm not going to talk about that more. So Jesus had to pay for your penalty. If you deserve an eternity in hell for what you've done, Jesus had to pay an eternity in hell for what you've done. And you cannot appreciate the gift that God has given you if you don't understand what you deserved. Second thing. I was saved from it. You should go to hell. I should go to hell. 100% of every believer who has ever lived should go to hell. 
when I die, I should wake up in the Hades next to the rich man crying all the same things he cried. But Jesus paid that penalty. We deserve hell and we can't earn our way into heaven because the most righteous thing you ever do is only good enough to damn you. But Jesus was righteous enough. Jesus did the thing that you can't do. And he rescued you from that. And so when I'm in heaven and I'm remembering where I should have been, that's going to fuel my worship. When we sing a heaven song and we're thinking about the fact that we get to go to heaven, we get to be really, really grateful because we're not just getting something we didn't deserve. We are actively escaping something that we did deserve. I can't sing songs about going to heaven without also thinking about the fact that there's somewhere else I should be going. Third thing, the non-Christian is going to it. You need to understand hell because Jesus paid for it because you were saved from it and because non-Christians are going to it. When you're having a conversation with a non-Christian, you need to be motivated to save them because 100% of people who don't accept the gospel that Jesus offers, 100% of people who are guilty, 100% of people who don't have Jesus' blood to cover them will burn. That is an extraordinarily uncomfortable thing to think about. That is a painful thing to think about. I have family members that I was close to who are currently in hell. And that's a painful thing for me to think about. I'm sure that's a stressful thing for parents to think about. There have been plenty of situations in youth group where I've looked at my own students and one of the things that really bothers me is I think how many of the people that I've ministered to over the course of my time here are going to burn anyway. And I'm looking at you guys. And some of you I'm very confident are Christians. Some of you I don't know. And some of you, I think, aren't Christians. And so tonight, I'm telling you, there is something waiting for you. There is fire waiting for you. And you need to accept the gift that Jesus is giving you. You don't have forever. And when you're sharing the gospel with other people, you need to understand there are stakes if they don't accept it, and that should motivate you. Here's the last thing I'm going to talk to you guys about before we go into small groups and pray it out. The book of Romans is a gospel presentation. Paul is writing to a church that he has never been to before, and he says, this is the gospel, and these are practical ramifications of the gospel. We're in chapter 1 and chapter 2, which means that Paul started with sin and judgment. That is a fantastic way for you guys to share the gospel with other people. If you share the gospel with someone and the only thing they hear is about how great Jesus is and how sweet heaven is and how that's available to them, you have only shared half of the gospel. And also, if there's no consequence for rejecting the gospel, why do I care exactly that heaven's a bit better? If God's a tool and I don't want to give my life to him, then why should I not just settle for average? I don't need the cherry on top. And so when you have a conversation with someone about the gospel, you shouldn't be starting with, hey man, Jesus loves you and he'll save you. Save me from what? You should instead start with, you're a sinner and you're going to meet God. One day, whether or not you believe in Jesus or not, he believes in you. And you're going to talk to him face to face one day. And you're going to be found guilty. And then you're going to be damned and you're going to burn. After someone has heard that, all of the sudden, 
they might be interested to know that someone else has already burned for them, that someone else is offering grace to them, that if they repent, that if they have faith, all they need to do is accept that gift, that you don't have to earn your way in because you can't earn your way in. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I got to tell you, since the day that I've converted, I have never needed to worry about doing enough good works to get in. I'm going to heaven. And that is a restful thing to me. I don't have to earn my way in. I never have to wonder, have I sinned just enough to get over the line? I never have to wonder, did I give enough alms? Did I pray hard enough? I never have to wonder... Is God going to judge me and find me wanting? Am I going to find out the day that I die that I didn't make it in? I never have to wonder about any of that because Jesus has offered salvation and all I have to do is take it. And all you have to do is take it. And I would encourage you, take it. You don't have forever. Well, you do have forever. I'd prefer that you spend that forever not burning. So with that, Let's bow our heads, let's pray it out, and we'll do some small groups. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us in the dark about what's waiting for those who have not accepted your message. Thank you that hell is not obscure from us, that we didn't just not know about it, but yet that's where most people will go. But rather, Lord, you have warned us. You have warned us that we cannot earn our way into heaven because we are not righteous enough to earn our way into heaven. You have warned us that you are a faithful and impartial judge and that all of us will be found wanting. Lord, you have also provided us an escape. You sent your son and Jesus, you suffered. And you suffered dearly. You suffered for each of us. You know each of our names and you burned for us so that we could be free. I pray that you would help us to accept that message. That because of our own unrighteousness, we don't even want it. But Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts, make yourself beautiful, and then bring us into your family and bring us into your kingdom. Help us to be faithful servants. Help us to be good worshipers. And in the time that you've given us left, help us to be good evangelists to all of the people who may have not heard this message. Lord, I pray these things in the name of our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.